Have you ever wondered what the world would be like if people really listened to each other? Me too. In a noisy world, how do we focus on listening to the things that matter? Do you feel heard? And are you able to make others feel heard? Join me and guests from around the world as we tackle these important questions and become better listeners along the way. I'm conductor and creator Timothy Myers, and this is Listening on Purpose. Our guest on today's episode is top-rated author and speaker Julian Treasure. Julian's five TED Talks have been viewed more than 125 million times. He is the author of the books How to Be Heard and Sound Business. You can learn more about him at juliantreasure.com. Want to know more about the real-life impacts of sound and listening? Here we go. Julian, I'm really happy to be having this conversation with you today, and I've told you a little bit about it. This podcast is an exploration of listening that I started a few months ago. I started thinking about how I listen as a conductor and the importance of listening in my career and how I've learned that the best conductors are the best listeners. At the same time of thinking about that, I realized that I'm not necessarily always very good at transferring those skills to real life uh, outside of the concert hall or the rehearsal room and that I, I frequently fall short of really strong listening and making people feel heard. And as I also started to observe our world, I became increasingly concerned that we're really missing the boat on this in a, in a major way. And so I started this podcast as an exploration of this. And when I discovered your work, I related to it so deeply kind of one of those, all, all these light bulbs started going off when I was hearing what you were saying, reading what you were saying. And you are an admitted evangelist about sound and listening. And I have a lot of questions, but before we get there, I'm wondering if you could give us a little bit of context. How did your story of origin or things from your story of origin guide you to what you're doing today? Well, probably like you, Tim, I've been a musician for a very long time, not uh, at your elite level, but from a very young age, I was introduced to music by my mother. I remember her giving me vinyl records of a young person's guide to the orchestra and um, Carnival of the Animals and other, you know, Peter and the Wolf, those kind of things, which are great introductions for any child, really. And then I remember my father bringing home Sergeant Pepper under his arm and saying, Everybody thinks this is the greatest thing ever, you know. So I was lucky enough to experience music really from a young age and to start playing. My mother got me piano lessons and then I surreptitiously actually switched to drums without telling her and became a drummer. And then I played in bands uh, for years and years and years. So drums is my instrument. Um, and as you were saying about conductors i think it's true you know you said the best conductors are the best listeners i think you can substitute pretty much any word for conductors in that sentence the best anything are the best listeners certainly musicians musicians listen to the world in a slightly different way to non-musicians because we have to practice unless we're solo we have to practice a multi-channel listening 
you know, if you're not listening to every instrument, you're not there. You're not in the group. So it's a kind of gestalt listening. It's multi-channel, multi-track listening, if you like, and it's very attentive. And if you're not doing that, you're not kind of with the band. And we've all had those moments when a group, whether it's an orchestra or a rock band, it's just there it's in the groove and everybody starts you know having goofy smiles and looking at each other and nodding and you you just know that the thing is where it's supposed to be and everybody's listening beautifully and it's a kind of sync zone yeah the zone um so any musician knows what i'm talking about it's a wonderful moment never lasts for the whole performance well in my experience but uh you know it can last for a while and and that's all about listening it's about a kind of coming together almost at a spiritual level, I think. So that listening is something musicians develop. And and I took it into my kind of overall life. I mean, I had years and years working in marketing. I ran, I, I launched and ran a magazine publishing company producing beautiful magazines for clients um, all over the world, people like Lexus and Microsoft and Apple and so forth. But all the while, I was conscious the world didn't sound very nice because I was applying this listening to the world. You know, we go around and we're surrounded by noise. So when I sold that business, I wanted to bring the two halves of me together, really. The the musician who listened and the marketing strategist who understood brands and how they need to communicate. And if you think about corporate communication, you know, immediately you think outbound. Marketing, advertising, public relations, all that stuff. It's all outbound speaking. They spend very little time really listening. And that's still true today. Uh, The research proves it. Less than 20% of organizational time, effort, money is is devoted to listening. It's it's almost all outbound, outbound. And that's that's true in individual conversations just as much as it is for the whole organization. So I I thought something's wrong here. And I formed a company called The Sound Agency. And uh, we started to help organizations to listen and to make better sound. That's not just about what are called sonic logos, you know, a little three-second sound. You think McDonald's or Intel or those kind of things. They're very powerful, but it's also, it's sound in every aspect of an organization's existence. You know, we experience the world in five senses, not one. So when we go into a corporate reception, what's the sound? And very often you'll find it's a TV that's on with news and possibly competitors advertising on it. And the news is usually bad news, isn't it? So I, don't, I never understood why people think bad news is going to make for good meetings. It's it's not a very nice introduction. And it's nothing to or, do or an with... an appetizing dinner. Yeah. It's nothing to do with the company you're seeing. You know, that the sound is completely off, off track. It's what we would call incongruent. We looked at sound in all of the expressions of a company. The telephone, which is a disaster for most companies. You know, press one for this, press two for that. Everybody gets frustrated with those. Sound in offices, sound in sales areas, and very much sound in retail. So we developed a generative sound system that's creating sound in real time, largely biophilic, based on nature. Actually started replacing a lot of music in public places. And now I know there are a lot of musicians who are very ardently against music in public places. Daniel Barenboim's one. There's a group in the UK called Pipe Down, which is all about getting rid of mindless music. I love music, but most music is made to be listened to. It's not a veneer. And it's almost insulting in many cases to have it 
just in the background and not be paid attention to. The music is going, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. And we're trying to do something else. So it's, you know, often inappropriate. So we have created something in the middle of silence and music, which is a little bit like white walls in a room. You don't come in and go, wow, look at the white walls. They're just clean, bright, supportive, understated. In the same way, these soundscapes do that for spaces. That's a potted history. And, uh, and along the way, I got to do a TED talk in 2007 because I'd done a lot of research about the effects of sound, which we can talk about in a moment, if you like. And uh, I talked about that in the TED talk. Nobody had ever used sound in a TED talk before. So it, they were quite excited about it and it did quite well. And I got to do four more TED talks in successive years. And the one on speaking is the one that really took off, which is quite interesting to you and me, Tim, because the one on listening, which was the third of the TED Talks, has been viewed by only one-fifth as many people as the one on speaking. And I think that tells us something about the priorities in the modern world. I am interested in, to, in talking about more about the speaking and some of the things that you talk about in that particular TED Talk. But I want to come back to something from one of the others. And this moment grabbed me right away is you open one of them by saying we are losing our listening and that's the one that just lit up all the light bulbs for me and 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 i thought yes this i see this happening in every day how and why would you say that we're losing our listening many reasons first of all we invented ways to record things starting with writing which came along only four or five thousand years ago and we've been using complex language for probably 150,000 years. So speaking and listening is the most visceral, powerful way to communicate to somebody. And yet writing has come up on the rails and overtaken it. And if you think of all the, the ways in which we've invented to communicate in the last 40 or 50 years, they've been text-based, email, instant messaging, social media, and so forth. It's all screens and fingers. So with writing, with text, with audio recording and video recording, of course, the premium on careful listening is gone, really. I'll, I'll check it later. It'll be on YouTube. You know, there's always another way. So we don't have to pay attention the way that perhaps you once did. You know, you sat at the feet of your guru and if you missed it, you missed it. That was it. And I mean, it's still true in Indian classical music, for example, there's nothing written down. The ragas are all improvised based on rules which are taught orally at the feet of a master. And there is no sheet music. So it's a very different kind of approach to sound that I, th I think that's very interesting. Technology, I think, would be the other really big one that I would mention in this context as a threat to listening, which maybe surprise some people. Surely technology is bringing us all together. No, I don't think so. I'm a great fan of, of the work of fellow TED speaker Sherry Turkle, who's a professor at MIT and who wrote a book called Alone Together, which is all about how technology is actually replacing a small number of deep, intimate and face-to-face -face relationships with a very large number of shallow, distant relationships. And so we're quite liable to be looking at our phone, you know, the, the picture of a family having dinner and everybody sit, sitting there looking at their phone, communicating with somebody who's not there. Where's the listening? in that, you know, the number of times we're into yeah. partial listening now. Yeah, I am listening to you, tap, tap, tap. No, you're not, you're sending a text, that's a different thing. Mm -hmm. Scott Peck said, you cannot truly listen to another human being and do anything else at the same time. And I think that's true. So technology is always after our attention. 
and listening is attention. You know, it's a huge gift to give another person 100% of your attention. And yet we've got all of these social media absolutely clamoring for our attention. You know, you might have been tagged or somebody might have mentioned you and, yeah, go and check it. You know, FOMO, the whole modern paranoia that leaves people sitting in bed at nearly midnight doing their email next to their partner, that kind of thing. It is really damaging our ability to listen to another person, to give them that 100% of attention. And the pace of life, you know, yes. we, we, there's so much coming at us, so many emails, I've got, I've got to do these things, and we're trying to multitask the whole time, and you can't multitask and listen, really. So I think there's a lot in the way of our listening. Uh, there's a, a sort of global impatience coming stronger and stronger, which is cutting down the time we give to speech and listening. You know, in politics, there used to be oratory, not anymore, sound bites, you know, yes. diplomacy in 140 characters, shouting, uh, headlines, <laughs> you know, that's what it's all about, polarization. And that, unfortunately, is another effect of technology, of course. We, we, are, we go onto the internet to seek affirmation of our views, not challenge. You know, the old Barack Obama quote, I will listen to you, especially when we disagree. Not many people are like that. Most people only listen if we agree. So you get polarization. You get these ghettos of people with more and more extreme views who end up hating people who are different. And we see that all the time. Vaxxers versus anti-vaxxers, uh, you know, political parties now polarizing in all sorts of countries. And I think that's very sad. Politicians go off and have talks. I wish they'd go off and have listens. I, I really relate to what you're saying. Well, two things, the curse of availability. And I had a really convicting moment recently with my two and a half year old son. I had come home from the office and he was very happy to see me and was taking my hand and asking me to come in and sit down and play with him. And I had my phone in my hand and I was trying to finish a last message or a who knows? It probably wasn't even that virtuous. It was probably on Instagram or something. And he actually took my phone out of my hand and put it to the side because I, I realized in that moment, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, it was so convicting because I thought, oh, I've already trained him that that is a barrier between us having a really fulfilling interaction. So this alone together idea is really incredible. Picking up on what you just said about politicians, in your book, there's this sentence that lands right on that, that says, democracy depends on civilized disagreement. And that is only possible if we understand other people's points of view, even if we disagree with them. And then the best part of that line is the end. Conscious listening always creates understanding. I'm wondering if you could give us a few examples of how you've been able to apply that in you know, personal life and professional life. Yes, it's crucial that we don't have in our head the sort of critic editor manager, I mean, it's the ego really, which is preparing our next bon mot while somebody else is speaking. I call that speech writing. And I think it's a state that many people are in which pretends to be listening, but actually isn't. There's a lot of noise in our head, which is getting in the way. You know, you can't listen to two people at the same time. And if one of those people is your head, you're leaving very limited space to listen to the person who's actually in front of you. So to me, conscious listening is almost a form of meditation. You know, in meditation, the process is letting go of thoughts. There's not perfection unless you're some sort of a genius. Thoughts come 
and you you go oh there's a thought again mm. bye bye thought and then another one comes and you just it's a constant process of removing thoughts and and seeking the the space between them the silence between them and i think listening's not similar to that it's an it's an important thing to trust what you're going to say to trust that your mouth will come up with the right thing when it's time to speak and not to be you know writing the speech in advance while somebody's speaking because you will miss stuff i think i calculated a long time ago we have bandwidth for about 1.6 human conversations so it's one of the reasons why office noise is is such a blight on productivity and well-being because people are stressed all the time trying to write or talk to somebody when there's somebody talking behind them and they can hear it you know we're programmed to decode language and we have no earlids and that's really stressful so just in the same way when you're listening to somebody else the first letter of my rasa exercise is receive and that means give them 100% of your attention and switch off the head now that takes practice it's just a practice it's something that won't be perfect at the beginning we're very used to this speech writing mode of listening to respond as you say the cavy way of thinking about it because that's all about looking good isn't it we want to come across well we want to maybe yes. score a point maybe be better than the other person maybe um you know correct them and be right so looking good and being right are two great enemies of listening for years we've been practicing a wonderful system called imago which is was invented by Harvey Hendricks and his partner which very much is about listening in the sense that you reflect back what somebody said which i call active listening you know what i heard you say is and then you validate it which is to say okay well i may not agree with you but it makes sense that you would believe that or it makes sense that in your world you would think that about what i just did or about what just happened or whatever it may be so you're validating what they said now we've been using this for a long time and it is a wonderful way to build relationship because it it lets go of the the struggle to be right to win you know it, it it's not conversation as a competition it's conversation at root it's all about curiosity why are you annoyed or why did you just say that that's interesting you know let's try and understand so intention is hugely important you know it's important to understand that every human being listens through filters i do you do everybody listening to this is listening through filters and those filters are different for each person so one of the most important things to understand about listening is that every human being's listening is unique i don't listen like you and nobody listens like either of us it's unique because we're born into the culture that we're born into we we learn a language that we learn then along the way we accrete values attitudes beliefs from parents teachers friends role models whoever it might be we pick up some we discard others and we all have come a different road to this moment you me everybody listening to this and then we might have intentions for for this conversation expectations we might have emotions going on you know we all know we listen in a very different way when we're upset or when we're happy it's 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 a different listening and you know your physicality also it changes through the day so each individual's listening changes over time and listening changes from person to person and it's a grave and very 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 common mistake to assume everybody listens like i do they don't you're speaking into a listening just as you have a listening for other people they have a listening for you 
And if you remember that and you start to try and sense it and ask the question, what's the listening I'm speaking into? Then you're much more likely to hit the bullseye instead of miss the target altogether. I'd love to touch back a little bit on these filters that you identify as culture, language, values, beliefs, attitudes, expectations, and intentions. And I'm wondering if you have some pointers on how we start to identify the filters that are going on in an interaction, specifically a verbal interaction, since that's the context we're giving it right now. What are ways that we can identify either as the speaker or as the listener, what filter is existing and perhaps getting in the way of effective communication? I think for oneself, it's a, it's a very valuable reflection and it's, it's worth having a part of your attention, part of your consciousness on this almost all the time. You know, that upset me. I wonder why. You know, and the, I find the phrase, that's interesting, is a great friend, as opposed to simply being in the emotion, being just a step back from it. I mean, you may still have the emotion, but then a, a little part of your brain, which may be outside of the ego, you know, it's it's like I talk about in, inner listening, and you're not the the voice in your head. You're the one listening to the voice in your head. It's it's there's a there's a consciousness of you which is not the upset ego, and if you can get that connection with that consciousness and say that's interesting, why did I feel upset there? Mm-hmm. Or that's interesting. Why did I upset that person? Why did that happen? What's going on for them? We all have triggers, you know, things that we can put into conversation, whether it's intentional or unintentional, which will really affect other people's emotions. And uh, other people can do it to us as well. We all have triggers. We've got wounds. We've got damage in the past. We've got sensitivities. We've got bits of our ego which got really hurt and are very volatile if they get prodded. So I think you can take those as interesting symptoms, if you like, and ask the question, that's interesting. Why did that happen? So that's a very good inquiry to be in all the time about oneself. I don't think it's particularly profitable to be analysing other people unless you're living with them and and they're very, very, very important to you. I mean, if you're in a conversation with somebody um, (laughs) and you're not going to see them that much, I don't think it's profitable to be going, well, I wonder why they're doing this and why they're doing that. You won't know. We make assumptions all the time about what's going on in other people's heads. You can never know another human being spiritually, mentally, emotionally. It's not too complicated. What you can do is simply, and it's the practice that I recommend, is simply ask that question, what's the listening? Because I honestly believe, and it's my experience, that if you ask that question repeatedly in every conversation that you have, whether it's one-to-one or standing on a stage in front of 10,000 people, doesn't make any difference. What's the listening I'm speaking into? And just feel it. It's a kind of intuition. It's uh, a connection that's nonverbal. It may be down to reading microexpressions, pheromones. I don't know what it would be. But I can promise you that from, a, from my experience, simply repeatedly asking the question, what's the listening, getting into that habit, it means that you can then morph and adapt. If you just ask that question, what's the listening, I think you kind of accelerate that process and give yourself a really good chance of forging a better connection. 
talking about, you know, having curiosity in your listening and that listening is the entry point to a quality interaction. And I think we miss that so often. And I was also reminded of a story about already having a context for something before you actually hear it. Um, when I was a young conductor, I had a, a big opportunity to do a live radio broadcast with a you know a well-known international orchestra and it was an opportunity that came late and so I was working very hard to learn the scores and had some nerves about it of course and I was speaking with a friend who at that time was one of the senior members of the New York Philharmonic we were talking about the repertoire that I was going to do and in one of these particular pieces, I was saying, oh, and I think this is going to probably require rehearsal here and maybe this spot and this should be. And she interrupted me and she said, don't ever assume something before you actually hear the orchestra. Because if, when, as soon as you do that, they know that you're not actually listening to what's going on. You're, you're listening to something that you think might happen as opposed to what's actually present in the in the room and into to what they're generating and i've always tried to remember that right removing these assumptions being a curious listener and it's interesting to see that when you do that it can open a door that was not previously open when when someone actually has that experience of feeling truly heard and that that's truly one of the things for me that i think i've gotten better at doing as a conductor and it maybe hasn't tracked as successfully in my personal life where I have to be constantly reminding myself of that. Well, there's a great phrase that I learned a long time ago, listen as if for the first time. And I think I met, I said that in that TED talk on conscious listening, which is a wonderful aspiration. It's a great direction to be going in. You know, I'm a great believer in pointing in the right direction. You know, we, we may not get to the destination, but if that's the objective, then you're going to have a better time. And listening as if for the first time, listening without those assumptions, if you can, is a fantastic way to build relationships, allowing people to surprise you and not going into, the, oh, I knew you'd say that. I was expecting you to say that. You know, oh, there you go again, doing that thing you do. You know, that's that's the route to becoming tired and bored and, and so forth. Uh, people are endlessly fascinating and there are always layers of the onion to learn so curiosity really is i think an absolutely critical aspect of a relationship it's a really important thing to hold on to being curious about the other person um, and about you know life in general because assumptions are, are things that we are so used to making i mean sometimes they're useful i assume that when i press a switch electricity will flow and a light will come on i have no idea how that works Nevertheless, it does work. So we assume it is going to. So assumptions are very useful sometimes. Nevertheless, I think it's quite useful to become conscious of the assumptions you're making, particularly about what's going on in other people's heads, you know, trying to avoid mind reading other people, thinking you know what they're all about, because it, it helps us to stop judging it's books the by the cover. to be wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to shift gears a little bit. It's something else in your work that you talk about, and specifically you have a great TED talk about this, is how to compel people to listen to you. And you, you, you mentioned that that was one of the most viewed. As an opera conductor, I really related to the way you talk about using the power of the vocal toolbox and how that's that's a frequently overlooked tool that 
every every voiced person has at their disposal. What is this vocal toolbox and why is it so powerful? The human voice is an extraordinary instrument. It's the instrument we all play, every single human being, unless mute. And it is capable of the most incredible things. I mean, when you think of, I mean, you conduct largely opera and so you get the privilege of listening to some people who have trained their voices to do extraordinary things. The volume inside the head of an opera singer when they're belting it out is terrifying. And some of them have hearing problems as a result of that. (laughs) And there have been people who've, who've worked with them over the years to try and solve that issue. But it's, you know, it's way over 120 decibels, I think, inside. So... That end is amazing. On the other end, you've got people who are doing undertone chanting, overtone chanting. Singing really shows the breadth of the voice. Then you've got people who've got enormously powerful speaking voices, which are revered around the world, who, you know, maybe as trivial as voiceovers or great politicians or, or evil politicians who've used their voice to change the course of history. So it's a very, very powerful instrument. And yet, again, we don't get taught how to use it in school, do we? Not speaking, not listening. Reading and writing, it's a scandal if a child leaves school unable to read or write. Speaking and listening, ignored. I, I just don't understand that. I think they're the two of the most fundamental life skills. And okay, there might be a bit of public speaking training in American schools, much more than in my country, in the UK. Nevertheless, speaking to another human being, not so much. And the power of this vocal toolbox, where you've got so many tools in there that we can learn to master, but not if we're not conscious of them. So again, it's a question of opening the toolbox and shining the light of consciousness on what's in there. It really seems like a miracle, the voice does to me. Anecdotally about your uh, your comment about the volume at which opera singers sing. Next time you go to the opera, watch in a love duet when there are two singers very close to each other and you'll see that if they're considerate colleagues they're very conscious about where they're actually singing and if the director has asked them to sing you know in a certain position sometimes one the singer who's singing will even move a hand where you to the to the audience member it looks like that hand might be on the cheek and it's actually covering the other singer's ear while they're singing a high C or something uh, it's it's kind of funny to to see up close uh, it, it is a powerful thing, the human voice. And I love this conversation about how anyone, any voice person can, can put that into, into practice. If there was one practice you would invite the listeners of this podcast to try to deepen the way they listen, what would be the, the cream of it for you? Well, there's a few to choose from. In the context of communicating with other people, it would be RASA, the uh, four-step process that I suggest for conversation. It's also the Sanskrit word for juice, RASA, R-A-S-A. The R is receive, which is to give the other person or the audience, you know, this, this works at every level, give the gift of your attention and your focus. So it's 100% not anything else going on at the same time. The A is appreciate, which is giving signals that you're with the person. It's very reassuring uh, if you maintain eye contact. For example, in the West, at least, uh, the dance of the eyes is that the listener 
generally looks at the speaker 100% of the time. That shows I'm really listening to you. The speaker, on the other hand, may look around, look up, you know, thinking. Um, there are all sorts of places we look when we're thinking or imagining or whatever it may be. It would be a bit intimidating. It is generally intimidating if a speaker is boring their eyes into you and doesn't look away at all in the West. We see it all the time on television because actors are trained to do that because it looks shifty if they start looking around and they're talking to each other. But those conversations are utterly unnatural. That's not generally the way that people uh, work. So the A is appreciate as a listener, little head bobs, eyebrow raises, smiles, you know, those kind of gestures or little noises like, oh, ooh, wow, mm, really? It, it all helps to oil the conversation. The S is a very important word, and that's the word so. Actually, S stands for summarize, and it starts generally with the word so. It's like you rehearsing a symphony. Okay, we've got the first movement locked down. Now let's move on to the next one. It's the same thing in a conversation. Mm -hmm. So I understand this. Is that right? You can check in. Yes, that's right. Okay, now on to the next thing. And the A of rasa is ask which is incredibly important. Questioning is so much a part of communication and listening. You know, people often say, I feel very unconfident in conversations. I can't seem to come up with the right thing to say. And the advice I give is ask questions. You know, be a good listener and ask questions, open-ended questions, not yes, no answers. So why, what, which, where, when, who, all those wonderful words which open up a conversation. And you can ask about, you know, if there's an area you do know about, and the person's been talking about that thing over there that you know nothing about. So how does that relate to this thing I do know about? And then you move the conversation onto, you know, home turf, if you like, and it becomes a lot easier for you. Questions are really important. It requires bravery and courage to do that because you are opening yourself to a person in a way that that, that involves vulnerability. It's important for us to understand that real listening is empowering, but it also introduces what we would say might be risk, right? Because you have to then be willing to admit that maybe you didn't understand, maybe you weren't really listening very well, maybe you won't agree. And so, as you mentioned earlier, it's, it's very hard work that's very, very conscious work to do. Absolutely. And maybe I was wrong. You know, so intimacy is yeah. a vulnerable state. You know, if you want intimacy in a relationship, it is about vulnerability. It's, it's about knowing and admitting your weak areas, your faults, your mistakes and so forth. It's, honesty is at the root of it. You know, I talked about the hail of great speaking, which is honesty, authenticity, integrity and love. And all of those are very much in play in an intimate relationship. Pretending to be something you're not is a short-term strategy generally. It's hard to maintain. And judging other people is almost anathema to a, an intimate relationship. I think it's pretty hard to love somebody and judge them at the same time. And it's kind of a one-way street, that one. I'm wondering if you just have a thought about what the world would look like with more listening. In your talks, you, you talk, for example, about education and how we could create transformation in the world. But if, if we could just envision together what the world would look like with more listening. 
let me give two dimensions to that. Firstly, the environments we live in, the contexts that we live in would be completely different. Architects don't listen very much at all. And I've lost count of the number of buildings and spaces I've been in, which are simply not fit for purpose because the acoustics in them are so poor. And I, I could talk about schools, hospitals, colleges, workplaces, offices, shops, shopping malls. I mean, the transport locations, the, the list is absolutely endless of places which sound shocking and to the point where their purpose is lost. You know, if children in a classroom can't hear the teacher, that's their education gone. And then um, unfortunately, that's true for millions and millions and millions of children in uh, poorly built or poorly designed schoolrooms all over the world. People can't get well in hospitals with the noise around them, the beeping, the hissing, the buzzing, the alarms, the, uh, you know, people walking around, having conversations and so forth. It interrupts sleep and sleep is how we heal. So I think in the first place, if we listen better, we will design with our ears as well as with our eyes and we'll be in a much healthier and more beautiful world. We'll be into a world that sounds potentially beautiful, which would be lovely. And then the second dimension, of course, is human relationship, um, where I think the vast majority of conflict really comes from not listening to other people, not seeking to understand them. Polarization. Uh, I mean, I'm not talking about rank evil, uh, which obviously exists in the world. I mean, there are despots, dictators and um, people in this world who are just not nice and who have got agendas and don't care how much other people get hurt, killed, maimed, um, dehoused, whatever it is. Not talking about those people. I'm talking about conflict which results simply from difference. And we're seeing more and more of that, unfortunately, at the moment. Difference being enough of a reason to hate somebody. Um, so, you know, I don't want to jump on the inclusivity and diversity bandwagon particularly, um, although those things are very noble. What I am talking about is seeking to understand any other human being, whoever it might be. You know, we may not agree with them, but if they are not evil and, you know, actively seeking to do us harm, then they probably have got a reason for believing what they believe or behaving in the way they behave. And in my experience, if we seek to understand that, we diffuse difference. And there's a good chance then that we can have a conversation with them and perhaps move their point of view or their behavior in a more pro productive way. Uh, so that, I mean, that is, I think, what democracy is all about. It's why I stood on a TEDx stage in Athens, the cradle of democracy, and said, listening is the sound of democracy. I think it's crucial. Mm. It's clear that the, the stakes are high when it comes to, to listening. I've so enjoyed this conversation, Julian, and I, I'm grateful for your time. And I you know, do want to make sure that everyone reads your book, which is called How to Be Heard, Secrets for Powerful Speaking and Listening. It is a really great read and 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 there's so much practical stuff in it and, and you know at the end of a section you give tips or things to practice or these ideas and so i i love that you present a lot of valuable information but also a lot of tools for immediately putting in, into practice is there any last thing that you would want to leave the audience with today 
I think if we put across the importance of listening, the, just the idea that listening is a skill that opens a door to a new world for everybody listening to this. Listening is a skill, not a capability, and it's a really important skill. And it's one which you can start practicing right now. You know, how about after listening to this, next time you're with somebody in your office, your family, try giving them 100% of your attention. You might get the response, what are you doing from them? Because they're probably not used to it. You know? <laughs> but it is a wonderful gift to give somebody. Just sit and listen and practice that. You know, it's a sacred space, really, that listening space that you can create with another person. You have that gift to give, and it's a wonderful gift to give. So try giving it and see what happens. Amazing words to leave us with. Julian, thank you so much uh, for this conversation. I've found it to be very enriching, and thank you for what you are contributing to the world in this work. And for all the listeners, anything we mentioned will be in the show notes, as well as links to uh, Julian's website and his other endeavors, as well as best ways to find the book. Julian, I'm really grateful for this. This has been an inspiring conversation. Thank you. Tim, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks ever so much for inviting me and for a great conversation. Thank you for listening to Listening on Purpose, hosted by me, Timothy Myers. I hope you are enjoying our deep dive into the world of listening and are finding it useful in your life. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave a rating and a review. You can visit listeningonpurpose.com to sign up for an email list that includes special episode highlights, show notes, and more information about our guests. To find out more about me, please visit timothymyers.com or find me on Facebook at Timothy Myers Conductor or Instagram at Mo T. Myers. Listening on Purpose is a production of Extra Musical. Executive producers are Meredith Carter for EQV Media and yours truly for Extra Musical. Listening on Purpose is edited by Brian Baltashevitz for Balto Creative Media. Original music was composed by DJ Spar and performed by DJ and Kimberly Spar. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time for Listening on Purpose.